Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Wednesday Night Live. I'm Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, and it's a great blessing to be able to reach out to you on this beautiful Wednesday uh, to all my congregation here in Dallas. Hi, everybody. And to those of you who are our Saints Network family around the world, it sure is good to be able to reach out to you. We are so thankful for you, and we're so thankful for the work that God is doing throughout creation. This is a great time. I know there's challenges. I know there are many issues that are throughout the world right now, but God's presence is so rich, and he is so wonderful. I would just advise you to reach out and drink deeply of his spirit. We want to look today at a passage, an extended passage in Scripture from Isaiah 59. Very rarely do I present in our teaching times a... Um, a document that has uh, over 20 verses. But here it is for you in Isaiah 59. And I felt that it was necessary for us to gain the full picture, the full context of what the Lord is saying to us. I do believe this is a rhema from God. And um, as I was preparing this, um, these scriptures just began to really erupt with meaning and insight and in order for us to really gain the meat that God is bringing to us we have to digest this entire context in this passage and it really does describe where we are as saints right now and it um, it might give you as you understand this not only a, a position to stand firmly in but a um, a prophetic standpoint by which you can declare and you can recognize what God is really doing. You know, when you understand the principles of God, not just the promises, those are wonderful, not just the, the, uh, the aspects where we know how to proclaim and claim, but really understand the principles of God that are detailed in Scripture if you really look for them then you can apply those principles when you see God moving in a certain way. Because God's ways are, you know, I know it says his ways are past finding out, but that means that you never really know what all God is going to do at a given moment. You can't predict him. If you could, where would faith be? But you can know the everlasting principles that he details as to how he does a thing. And um, so, you know, we talk about fivefold pursuit of understanding the mind of God. We understand various numeric principles that are detailed throughout the scripture. What does two mean? What does three mean? What is four, five, six, seven? The way God used progressions throughout the word. Now, many people don't find this. You're not going to find this in your Schofield reference. But it's there, and it's not just some obscure passage. It is it is repeated over and over again. And, you know, you, you know the ways of God from the progression of his seven spirits, but, you know, those things are all part of God. And, you know, there are some times where you can recognize, okay, this principle is happening right here. And you can see how God's moving, and that helps you to gain confidence but it also lets you know in your apostolic patience what it is that you should be doing right then in alignment with God's principles. And this is very helpful. Um, you know, so many times in the Bible, in the Gospels, you read about Jesus as he talked to his disciples and he'd say, I told you about this. Or, why didn't you listen when I was saying what I was going to do? Or how did you not know this was proceeding in this way? And so the Lord expects us, even though we don't know exactly what God is going to do, we know his objectives 
and we know the overall measure of principle that God that God follows in doing anything he does. And so um, I'm very grateful that this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 59 is, is speaking such rich insight to us today. So Isaiah 59, verses 9 through 21, you should have an outline there available for you. If you've not pulled it up yet, please go ahead and do so. But what we're going to look at is an ex- it, it, we're, we're look. This is like a classroom. So this isn't a three-point sermon that's going to get everybody wind, wound up, and you know, for the next twenty minutes, you're going to be a sugar high of exhortation. This is a deep thing. It's a deep chunk of strong meat, but it is it is powerful, and you may need to read over this a few times after we've talked about it and let the nourishment of God's eternal word continue to flow through you. I have a particular um, proclivity to um, treasure this passage for a reason that is personal, and that is that on the night that I was voted on to become the pastor of this church, which was 33 years ago, this past Sunday, we came 40 years to the day on Mother's Day, on the exact date, and uh, as this year, and 33 years ago, on the same day, elected as pastor. So we'd been here seven years, and then this happened. So uh, on that Sunday night, when the I preached on Sunday morning, and I preached from Mary's word, whatever he says to you, do it, Jesus' first miracle. And then that night I spoke from here, um, particularly when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. And I was talking about how the people of God needed to listen to him and spend time in prayer. And I know that you know, that wasn't a real barn burner of a sermon. It was, I certainly didn't see what was coming in the way of intercession that we have received and enjoyed. But I do know that this was a prophetic word. And after I spoke this, then the, then the vote happened and they tallied the vote. It was a really awkward, weird time. But um, so this passage always has meaning to me for that reason. But I do think that it was prophetic in nature. Um, Let's talk about this first. When the enemy comes in like a flood. Now, um, I have to tell you that when the enemy shall come in, in in Isaiah 59, and you see it there, that's verse 19. um, This is... This this can be said when the enemy shall come in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. Some people preach it when the enemy comes in like a flood. I tell you one thing, that enemy is coming. He's coming like a flood. Well, like a flood is is the way God comes. And, you know, it's interesting that this word, flood, is used throughout the Old Testament to speak of rivers, streams, canals that were dug to um, transport in an irrigation or for drinking water, river water from the stream, or a current of water. It, um, it can mean ocean currents. It can mean underground streams. It can mean... Um, the river of God from heaven, and and the verb form of it is to flow and to unblock something so that it can really pass uh, as, as an unbridled uh, flow of water. So it doesn't necessarily have to mean, you know, the flood of Noah, but it, it does mean a river, it does mean a stream, it can mean the ocean. And I think all of those things indicate the way God moves. 
what God really wants to do when the enemy comes in. The enemy comes in to stop what God is wanting to do or to intend to stop it. The enemy will try to block. The enemy will try to hinder. The enemy will try to confuse and to divert. The enemy will try to cause us through threats or through um, some measure of a strife to serve as an unclean influence that inhibits what God is really wanting to do. And of course, when God moves, it is regularly described as a flow or as a restoration of proper function. And of course, we, we know that the river of God that Ezekiel saw uh, flows and it flows from the throne and it, it has that progression of how it will impact the earth. So the enemy will come in, but his objective is not necessarily you. His objective is the flow of the plan of Yahweh that God is intending to release or to restore. And the, the way the enemy uh, looks at you is that he recognizes that you should be an intercessor. And if you're not, then, um, you know, he can, he can block in that way, which is why in verse 16, just a few verses earlier, you know, God says that he wondered there was no, no man and wondered that there was no Pagai intercessor. So he had to pattern for us what an intercessor should really be. And in these days, we need to be a Pagai intercessor. We need to be someone who is constantly sensing what God is doing at the moment or in a particular time frame. And we need to partner with him in it. Sometimes it's a sila. Sometimes it's a breakthrough of shouting or, or uh, rejoicing. Sometimes it's patiently declaring and, and pressing through. Sometimes it's just an immediacy of visitation and you you respond and glean everything that God wants. But the Pagah is really speaks about how the Spirit of the Lord um, is moving at, at that moment. We've studied about this a number of times over the years. A number of you have taught over it. So I'm not going to go into the fullness of what Pagah is because we have so much more we need to talk about here. Um, so when, when we look at this promise and we see God wonders that there was no person, he looks for a Pagai intercessor, he patterns it, then he says, they will fear the name of the Lord Yahweh from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. The standard is the banner. We are representing God. We're representing what God is, is wanting us to represent according to his ways. And um, this, is, this is what, um, uh, this is the way God, this is the way Yahweh moves. Now, we want to talk about from this perspective, and what I just said is a chunk of meat already. You may want to go back and read this and, and, and study out the words because it's, it's powerful. It's God's solution. But we want to go up to the beginning of this passage, Isaiah 59, and look at the condition of darkness. This condition of iniquity has been visited on the world over and over again. Isaiah spoke about this, and he certainly saw this pattern revisited over and over again. He saw the despicable nature of Ahaz with the burning of children in Hinnom. We, he saw uh, Hezekiah raised. He saw Uzziah. He saw, you know, you saw those kings that he served in. So he saw the up and the down, the up and the down. And this is a pattern for whenever the enemy comes and wants to enslave a society, this is what he does in Isaiah 59. And we're going to look at some of the touch points that we can see in our day right now. And then we're going to look at this fivefold progression, which is detailed there for you, 
of what God wants to do and how the enemy is withstanding. And then after we look at this, just stick with me now, we'll go into what we just talked about and see how point by point God's Pagah intercession is a solution for each one of these things that we have detailed in the center of our teaching sheet. So this is a line upon line. This is an overlapping. This is just a powerful word. I, my appreciation for the way the Spirit moved through Isaiah just grows with, uh, with the passing, passing years. And um, I remember in seminary, in seminary, I took a course uh, 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 concerning the study of Isaiah. And I loved the book of Isaiah so much that I scheduled this class. It began at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I stayed awake through that. That meant I had to get up from the trailer where we were living and drive the 20 minutes over to the Blue Goose, which was the Assemblies of God headquarters. And that's where that's where the uh, the seminary was at that time. Probably still is. I need to. Re- no, I don't. I think it's moved over to the holy ground of evangel. But um, and then I had to get in, get to where the class was. So um, seven o'clock. I I loved Isaiah so much that I took that early morning class, and my uh, master's advisor, Doctor Horton, was the one who taught it. And I love Dr. Horton. He really did me a lot of favors. He wrote a great number of the, um, the theological books and doctrinal books for the Assemblies of God. They still use them today. So that's a pretty good guy to have. It's kind of like the Assemblies of God's Gamaliel. Pretty good guy to have as your friend and as your master's thesis advisor. But he was not, as a speaker, he was not the most colorful person. And he was pretty, he was pretty, <laughs> pretty, I'll just say it, he's kind of dry, you know, in public speaking. But that's too much information. But I studied Isaiah there. I didn't hear any of this stuff, but I got the roots and the foundation down. So look at this. It talks about society, and it says that justice is not overtaking us. Judgment is far from us. We wait for the light, but we're in obscurity. We look for brightness, but we're walking in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar like bears, but mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for Yeshua, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing... And lying against the Yahweh, the plan of God, departing from Elohim, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. I want to stop right there. This is so much what is happening today in our society. It is so much what's happening in the the twisted byproduct of the church. The whole theme is speaking oppression. Oh, everybody's oppressed. Oh, everybody's got an axe to grind. And and we're going to revolt against it. We're going to rise up and be a voice because nobody's seeing this oppression but us. Let Let me let you in on a secret, buddy. Throughout every generation, people have been oppressed. They have been. You know, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not belittling the need to see oppression put away. But oppression is, is part of every culture at every time. So if you've determined that you are the be-all, end-all that's going to finally put oppression to flight and this needs to be your mainstay, just get in line because there were thousands before you that thought that same nonsense. The answer to oppression is not by revolt. The answer is to oppression, as it is to darkness, is by bringing light and teaching people the real way, God's way. 
So, but in our society today, particularly across the world in the U.S., everybody's got an oppression. Everybody's got a truth. Everybody's got some way where they've been done wrong. Uh, hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song and let me feel at home. Um, you know, conceiving, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. See, you have to you have to then transgress and lie against the true plan of God. You need to part, depart away from partnering with Elohim. You need to make oppression and revolt your mainstay. And you conceive and utter from your heart, the steering wheel of your life, words that are basically falsehood. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You know, people who are, you know, out there roaring like bears, but they grope and they mourn sore like doves. This is, this is a travesty. So this is a picture not only of our society, it seems to be heightened today, but of one thing after another after another. And this same mindset is what stayed, set the stage for so many different rebellions and the, and the uh, twistedness of those rebellions over the years, where governments were overthrown, where, where a wickedness prevailed, where communist systems the, the Bolshevik rebellion in, in Russia and just the, the horrors that they, that they achieved. Uh, murdering the Tsar and his family, murdering political prisoners, murdering and sending people off to Siberia, just eliminating b bloodbaths of the church. You know, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of going into Moscow and St. Petersburg and the train ride in between. And, you know, you could just see what Lenin and Stalin did. And it was all, it was just horrible, just horrible. And, you know, you, you look at China. What, what do they still do today? I mean, good Lord, they saw on my application for a visa that I was a pastor. And they pretty much banned me from coming in and had it not been from... For the airline association from almighty buck uh, making an appeal for me i wouldn't have gotten a visa i mean these people built themselves on somewhat legitimate concerns but they brought in a wide sweeping strife welcomes every evil work and we see that today in our society and if you have deluded yourself into thinking that somehow you're the brightest bulb in history's box and you can abandon what God gave you to be and what he taught you to be so you can be a voice for oppression. Get with it. You need to be a voice for the Lord. I mean, when God arises, the enemy's going to scatter. The enemy is more with this revolt than, than he is anything else. They, you know what the enemy's trying to do with revolt in our society today? He's trying to eliminate the church now, all branches of it, not just the ones you don't like. He's trying to eliminate the Word of God. He's trying to eliminate the counsel of God. He's trying to dispute things that we call holy. And the enemy's in the thick middle of this revolt, as he always is. And so we see this in society. But let's look at the five things that are listed beginning at verse 14. Judgment is turned away backward. Justice stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the street. Equity cannot enter. Truth fails. And he that departs from evil makes himself a P-R-E-Y, pray. And Yahweh saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And it, because of that, he looked for, we read this already, he looked for a man, an individual, wondering that there was no pagah. Therefore, he demonstrated what needed to be done. So God is still looking for a pagah intercessor. Pagah, not somebody that has all the answers. Somebody that is to be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to the church daily, hourly. This is, And this is, to me, I think, a pagah uh, atmosphere 
is one of the richest atmospheres because you can drink from that brook all day long. You can sit at the Lord's feet and draw close to his chest and listen to his voice as he's going through what he's doing. And now you're not going to understand everything that's going to happen. But that walk, that journey, that Paga influence is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Now, there are some times where you're just standing. And there isn't a Paga influence there. You've been brought to a point by God and you're just standing. That's a difficult thing for people at times if you don't understand God's ways because then the enemy will say, well, God's abandoned you, you know. You're not getting these Paga words anymore. And, um, you know, you must have missed it. And you, so people go out sometimes and then try to stir up a Paga. And that doesn't work very well. It's either God is either moving at that in that experience or he's not. Sometimes you have to stand and you have to establish and you have to resist the enemy who's trying to test whether your resolve is to really abide in that place where God has led you. But the Baga process is developmental. It is, it is um, experiential. It is revelatory. And it's usually when God is wanting to do a thing and establish a new terrain. We, we have Paga influence all around us right now. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and um, God is establishing something. He's turned the page of his timetable. And he is, um, uh, he's doing a lot of new and exceptional things. And we are, we are very excited to be in this moment. We don't have all the answers. We don't know exactly what God's going to do. But that's the beauty of a Pagah. That's the beauty of the journey. That's the beauty. When, the time you say we have all the gospel and we've got it all figured out, take heed when a man thinks he stands, he's, he's going to fall. If you're not moving forward into the progressive revelation of the Lord, and if your mainstay in reacting to progressive revelation is to judge for the sake of maintaining tradition, you're dead while you let, yet live. And so uh, we, we can testify to that truth right now but and give you a lot of examples of it. But here are five things that God looks at and he says these things are are, it's just crazy. The first one is, you have them there on your sheet. For those of you who have not pulled up the sheet, um, it is uh, beginning at verse 14. Judgment, the mishpat, that is the eternal purpose of God, what he has ordained he wants to do. And this is what judgment and burning bases itself off of. This is the letter of God's law, the letter of of what God has ordained from the foundation of the world he's going to do. Uh, and it says that it's turned away backward. It is rejected. It is, in fact, you're, it says turned away backward. And this word means hind parts or the west of all things. This is the word that is used to describe the west in the Old Testament. Now, you can figure that out for our country. You know, not, not certainly Tucson. But, you know, I won't, it's, it's further west. <laughs> so, um, of course, Phoenix has got it all figured out. But Tucson, you know, just joking now. Mishpat, turned away backward. And, you know, the point, though, is, is that this could mean that you've turned your back on the, or someone has, on the way God wants to complete his work from the rising of the sun to the going down. And, you know, the, but it's it's the commitment to the purpose of God who've turned their back to that eternal purpose. Now, next it says the sadaka, not Neil sadaka, but righteousness is standing afar off. I guess, of course, Neil sadaka is standing afar off too. I don't know. Is he dead now? I don't know. Don't text me. I'll look it up. Um, it stands afar off. It, you know, the vision of the Lord for righteousness is off the radar. 
People, people, many aren't looking for him because they've got it all figured out. We don't want to mess up our agenda by actually seeking God and hearing what he's saying. A met truth is fallen in the street. Now, fallen means to cast down, stumble. It can mean decay. And from this word, a sense of bereavement is created. Now, we know that a met is the fulfillment of, of truth. It's the fulfillment of the Amman. It's the fulfillment of the right hand. It's the fulfillment of the prophetic directive from God. It's the fulfillment of belief. It's it's Emet is the fulfillment of what it means to be standing in faith. And you look at the word Amman, meaning right. And you know, Abram believed God. It's this word. So the fulfillment of that is Emet. And so the actual fulfillment of what the mishpat is that is achieved by following righteous vision, which is what righteousness is. Abram believed God, and God called it righteousness. Why? How did he believe God? How did he amon? He looked at the vision, and he said, okay, I mean, I don't understand what all that's going to be, but I'm accepting it. And God said, that's righteousness. These are all teachings we've had. I'm just touching them. If you're hearing this for the first time, forgive me, but trust me, I'm not just I'm not spewing things here. This is this is all through the word of God. And so the the prospect of the fulfillment of the word has fallen in the streets, in the causeways, in the highways, in the byways. And um, it it creates a sense of bereavement. And I wonder about this atmosphere that we have sensed over and over again in the past number of weeks. And, you know, Wormwood is a bitterness. It is uh, where someone has um, believed for something and it was rejected, and then they, they feel bitter about it. And I wonder if, if part of the power of that in the enemy camp is not that truth was there, uh, faith was there, and instead of the fulfillment, it fell, and the resultant, uh, the resultant characteristic is a bereavement or a, or a sense where that things have been lost. What God really wanted has been lost. Now, we as intercessors can take that and turn it toward the board, burden of the Lord, where, you know, creation is awaiting the manifestation of the sons where um, you know all of the the, the the blood from the earth is crying out um, you know those kinds of passages we can turn that from the Lord to the Lord but it, it does generate something that the enemy can release as hopelessness now let's look at this next one equity cannot enter this is Nicoa and it, it's a word that means being under siege. Now, it means that something is outside the walls, equity, a straightforwardness, a integrity, fairness, as it were, is, is outside the walls. It's being held back. And uh, somehow this nonsense of iniquity is holding back. It's cut off the, the directive from God. It's cut off the uh, the vision, a righteous vision, it's cut off. It thinks the fulfillment of the pathway of partnership, and truly, then the fruits of what God has wanted to do, and what God wants to bring in a sense of fairness, in in a, in a sense of integrity, in a sense of fulfillment, is outside the walls, and then it comes back again to a met. And it says um, in verse 15, yes, Emet has failed, and he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. This is where we are right now in some ways. Someone recognizes that what God has wanted requires a voice of righteousness. And really, look around. Anybody that's talking about righteousness Anybody that talks about God, anybody that talks about the Scripture or the ways of God is mocked. 
I mean, example after example. I'll never, I'll, I can't forget the, that crazy program called The View and the woman who said, I know what her name is, I'm not just going to say it. She mocked Vice President Pence who said that he talks to God and he listens to what Jesus would say. She just mocked him and he said, that's mental. You need, you need, you're, you're, you need mental counsel. You need help. And of course, she went was, was I, I realized that still some of the people that were watching and paying for the products that were advertising uh, were Christians and actually took offense at that. And then she came back with some kind of backhanded excuse and and apology. But this is what people believe, you know. They they say that if if you b- speak anything about the word, you're 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 a racist in some cases. Uh, and of course, if you're if you're a member of a quote unquote minority and you quote the word, then that means that you've betrayed your people, or you are you're you're just, you know, what's a good word? You're crazy. How's that? Um, so anybody that goes after the fulfillment of God's ways in this day is targeted. Their decision from departing from evil makes them a prey and Yahweh sees it and it displeases him that there was no mishpat that what he ordained to be was not being followed I think this is very very interesting are we not seeing these five things today oh it's on overdrive we're seeing it all around us and the answer for this is the same as what it was in God's day. Isaiah saw this, and what he was seeing was the way that the promise of God in the city of Jerusalem, through several different reigns of kings, had disintegrated and had become vile. And, and he, he saw the progression. This that he described is what destroyed the people of God. This is what destroyed Jerusalem. This is what robbed them of their covenant partnership. And if anybody could have said it, Isaiah did, because he saw it on a number of occasions. And the sad part is that we as Christians in our day are seeing these same characteristics uh, and you know I know that a number of these are nothing new but it's like it's on spiritual steroids now and it's it's all over the place and I do believe God has given us a window and even that window is being threatened right now for for the for the people of God to pray and to seek Him, and um, but just know that these things are there. So I said that the five characteristics that are delineated there in the middle of the sheet are basically, in many ways, answered by what the Pagah intercessor God Himself um, uh, will accomplish. I said that. Um, you know, Mishpat was turned away backwards, and that word was the West. Well, look at um, verse 19. So shall they fear the name of Yahweh from the West, and his glory from the rising of the sun. The rising of the sun is the way God begins to um, uh, begin a work. That would speak about Sadaka or righteous vision. Um, when the enemy shall come in, um, and he, he has come in, and he's tried to make the fulfillment of partnership with God and God's truth fall down in the streets, and we see that in the streets of just about all of our cities, even here in the great Lone Star State, um, you, you, you see this, and it, it's, it's despicable. It's, it's ridiculous. But when the enemy comes in, um, 
I, I like what it says, like a flood, the river and the stream, the spirit of Yahweh will raise up a standard against him. Now let's go back up to that fifth part where it says emet, fails. Fails there is Adar. See, some of you thought I wasn't going to talk about that. You've already got, you already had this burning in your oven. It means to arrange as an army unit or to hoe a vineyard, to be cultivated or weeded by extension, potentially to be lacking leadership or direction in the army. So God sees that his agenda for his army um, is, is, is failing. It's, it's there. It's arranged. It has got everything it needs to go forward. In fact, um, fairness is standing outside the city, almost in siege, waiting for the ability to break through. And this is what God sees, and it displeased him so much that the heart of God wanted the fulfillment. He wanted Mishpat to come, so he looked for a Pagah intercessor, which is you. And so he didn't find any then, and he himself brought salvation. This is, of course, prophesying about the coming of Jesus and how he puts on righteousness, the, the, the armor, the helmet uh, as a breastplate, the the helmet of salvation on the head, garments of vengeance for clothing, clad with zeal as a cloak. Um, and God will re repay. And they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. The enemy has come in, but the river of God, the river of the Spirit of Yahweh, will, will come and... Um, a standard will be lifted. That river is going to break through into the cities. And the army units are suddenly be going to become um, mobilized according to the ways of God. And the Redeemer will come. He's at the head of this army. You remember when we studied about that in a number of passages. Uh, the Redeemer is at the head of the Parats. And... Um, so this is what we look forward to. We know that Pagah intercession recognizes that the ways of God in his eternal word, which is mocked by many today, uh, is turned away backward. We, we know that the, the prospect of gaining righteous vision uh, is being rebuked and debunked by many. We know that the partnership with God and walking with Him as a as a as a in the journey has been and and the fulfillment of what His truth is has fallen in the streets of our great nations, and we recognize that what God really wants to do is a sense of fairness and integrity to bring meaning to people's lives is is outside the walls. It's like it's under siege. It's waiting, and the. The, the wonderful fulfillment of the partners, those who are walking in the journey, um, they're arranged as an army unit. They are digging in the soil. They're believing God prophetically. Uh, they are they're trying to remove the, the weeds of iniquity and getting them out. That's kind of what God's been doing. I talked about that yesterday in my, uh, on Saints Radio in regarding my life. Um, by extension... It's because they lacked leadership or direction. So here you have God saying, as he, he's coming as a Pagah. He's the intercessor. Our Lord is the great intercessor. He's got his armor on. And what's going to happen is the, the plan of Yahweh is going to be feared from the West. And his glory of righteous vision and the beginnings of what he wants to do is coming as a rising of the sun. The enemy has come in, yeah, but there's going to be a breakthrough into the city, the flood, the river, the streams of God, those streams from his throne flowing through paradise, those streams that are the ancient wells, those streams that are the rivers that are, have been unseen are, are going to break open just as in the days of Noah, and it's going to be known. The glory of the Lord is going to be known. And, um, and I love this. 
the, the Lord, the Redeemer, is coming in, and our armies have the standard of the banner of the Lord, and we are we're going to see the visitation and the move of the Spirit like we've we've never seen. Now, what's going to happen? We looked at this not long ago. The enemy's going to recognize that the oligos is moving and that his time is short. The Kairos moment is here for that. And he's going to come in a backlash. Now, we don't fear that, but then we don't ignore it either. Um, we're going to see a great move of the Spirit. We have to pray. We have to intercede. We have to stand with our great intercessor in these Paga moments. And yes, we recognize all of these details about the darkness and how it's gripped society. We're not going to redeem everybody because a lot of people don't want it. How can that be? They just haven't been around our kind of anointing. Well, you're not going to get much better anointing than the um, Jesus' first sermon when unclean spirits were there and they, they, the people tried to throw him off a cliff. You're not going to get much greater anointing than when he ascended into heaven and people who saw it, many doubted. You're not going to get much greater anointing than on Pentecost when the Spirit of the Lord was moving so powerfully and there were those who were doubting. There's a lot of other examples of that. Jesus could be healing a man who'd been uh, crippled. And on the other side of the room, there are those who are seeing it, devising ways to kill him. So don't think that because you're going to see the victory come, it's going to somehow eliminate what the Scripture says is going to happen in the end time. You know, we, we need to know. We need to be ready. Daniel spoke about how that the saints will win great victories and then they'll be overcome. And then they'll win great victories and the enemy will try to remove the power of the saints, that partnership of the hand will try to wear them out. So it's a battle, but God is with us. But what's ahead of us is a great visitation of the Spirit of the Lord. And we need to believe for this. And we need to put these things into practice. And you need to go back through and study this and line this up. It's, it's just so poetic. It's just such meat. It's so encouraging. You need to look at it. Now, this business of the mishpat being turned away backward, there's a lot of turning away. I've been astounded by, and we've talked about this over the months, by people who are denigrating the Word of God. Uh, the enemy hates the Word of God. He uses it for his advantage when he can, but he detests the Word of God. And, um, you know, I don't want to name drop here, but my brother Harry Delaney from Tucson. How you doing, Harry? He communicated with me and sent me uh, something that I should want, that he suggested that I might want to look at. And so I did this morning. It was about the days of Noah. And it was heavily from a uh, Seventh-day Adventist viewpoint. Uh, but it was it was pinpointing the way over the centuries the word of God has been um, has been under attack by the enemy, and he he brought this this thing brought about how that the uh, since the time even before Luther and after Luther there were many many universal church missives that said. We've got to do something to eliminate these people's belief in the Scripture uh, as opposed to their belief in us as the Holy Church. And over and over again, and I, I was reading these, I'd seen a number of them way back in seminary, and I saw over and over again how that even the Holy Church, quote-unquote, was trying to minimize the validity of the Scriptures and to make the word of man equal to it or surpassing it. So this is nothing new. And so when I see the union of, of that doctrine and that stance with Methodism and others who should know better 
just watering down the word, saying that it's not inspired, saying that the viewpoints of other fathers are equal to that scripture. This isn't some revelation you got. This has been going on for hundreds of years, and it was designed to eliminate Protestantism. There was even a book that was cited from the 1800s about how to defeat Protestantism. And um, it talked about one of the first things you have to do is to eliminate their devotion to the Scripture. So hearing people debunk the Bible or try to water it down or make other viewpoints equal to it is, is, is nonsense. But it is gaining fervor now. And so when I see that the mishpat is uh, people have turned their backs on it, in an attempt to block the going down of the glory of the Lord, the visiting of the Lord from the rising of the sun to the going down. When I see that, I recognize that, first of all, it's happening, but secondly, it's a sign that the glory of the Lord is about to be visited upon a land. And um, God has arranged his armies. It doesn't Please God that his word is being mocked, for his word will never pass away. But um, when you see that God has positioned his armies and he's positioned a sense of fairness and equity and integrity for people, how does that mean for people? People are looking for answers. There's a great hunger out there. And people are desperate for this. It's You know, you can either look at it one way or another. You can think, well, I have an axe to grind, and I've been done wrong. Everybody's got an axe to grind. If you look around, you can find it if you've not buried it in, in the back of your enemy by now. But everybody's got some issue. And um, I, I think that, I think that um, um, if, if, if you see that, that that's really at heart... A, a cry for integrity and meaning in your life. And, um, you know, there was a very interesting podcast by Trey Gowdy. Trey Gowdy. Uh, he's, I, I really like hearing him because he, he's a lawyer. He speaks, he used to be in Congress, but he speaks on national issues. But he's got a podcast now. You can find it on Spotify. And he was talking about fairness. It's funny because I was praying about issues in my life from the past. I talked about this again yesterday on Saints Radio and uh, really rectifying things that the Lord was bringing up that really had done, been done wrong to me over many, many decades. And I don't sit and think about them. I'd forgotten about just about all of them. But the Lord brought them up because he wanted me to deal with them and to any any hidden place, search me, O Lord, try me, see if there be any wicked way in the depth of me. And God's trying to get this to the forefront so that it can be firmly touched by what could be a vulnerability, touched by the Lord so a vulnerability could not take place in me. And so in the heels of that, I got a notification this podcast was there, and I noticed that he was talking about fairness and how that you know, everybody, some people have been, unfairness has come to them. And what really is fairness? And, you know, how, how unfairness can become a, a, a damning intoxicant in people. And how do you overcome unfairness? And, and his point was that all of us have had things that have been unfair. It doesn't mean that you dismiss them or that you justify the unfairness. But you're never really going to, the most important thing to, to dealing with unfairness is that you don't let it be carried on through you. And that you don't let the unfairness uh, take charge of your life and soil your ability to either be fair or to be, be contented. And so you have to overcome that. So I think today there is, you know, we've got this word translated as equity, and it says that uh, this Nakoa is, is there, it's available, but it's outside the walls. You've got people inside the wall that are 
that are dealing with oppression. They're speaking oppression and they're speaking revolt when really what they need to be doing is knowing God, finding his fulfillment, finding his his integrity and his sense of identity and coming to grips with forgiveness and becoming what God wants because you're never going to find fairness in this world. You're going to find equity in God. And that's what we're really crying for. We're saying to the saints, let's be what God created us to be. Let's be what God created us to be. And let's um, let's let's walk in that sense of equity. Because there before the Lord, we are standing in his righteousness. We're born again by the blood of Jesus, and we stand in purity to serve God. We want to walk with him. But there's this surrounding of the cities with this sense of fairness. It's being kept out of the cities. But God, through his Pagai intercessors, with God at the head, is going to break through this army of the fulfillment of the ways of God and those who are partnering with him is going to break through. It's positioned right now. It's just waiting for the timing of the one who's at the head. The Redeemer shall come to the dry and twisted place and unto them that turn from transgression as Jacob did, says Yahweh. Jacob dealt with iniquity. He was the one who said, God was in this place, and I did not know it. There was a Pagah, and I missed it. Jacob was continually resisting becoming Israel. And, you know, we're all like that in so many ways. And we, we need to continue to come before the Lord and pour ourselves out before him and ask him to cleanse us. But God is going to be addressing the Redeemer, at the head of this army, with his banners flying over as the river of God flows through, and equity and fairness by God is being made available to people. People are either going to have to accept it or reject it. Some people are so rooted in their demonic devices that they won't accept it. They'll bide their time and they'll wait like a spiritual deep state, and they'll wait. Get ready for it. But God is going to move. And what do we need to be doing in order to welcome that? Pagah, as an intercessor, recognize these principles for what they are. Don't just get ticked off because of it. See it for what it is. It's, old, it's as old as mankind. And here it is spelled out by Isaiah. But when the enemy comes in, the river of God will flow like a river like a flow, like a flood, the, the wonderful spirit of Yahweh is going to come. His standard is going to come against this enemy. And the Redeemer is coming. He's at the head of the army. He's our great intercessor. So this is where we are right now. And God is working these things in us as we're praying Right now, God is going to be touching places in your life, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you. These things have all been forgiven, but even things that, that might have been a proclivity of iniquity in you that has been under the blood, God wants to say, okay, I'm not digging this up just to be digging it up. This is a part of purpose that you've not used before. You've not used this part of purpose. So I need to address this thing. I want to remind you of how it got a hold of you before. And I want to expand. I want to plow in you and make you ready to move in a deeper, in a more powerful way. Isn't that wonderful? So as we recognize these things and we're praying according to the daily visitations of God, know what's coming Partner with the great intercessor, our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he praying for right now? He's praying for the saints that we would accomplish the will of God. Is that not what's being discussed here? Of course it is. I love this. This is just terrific. So way back many years ago, 33 years ago, 
Um, of course, I was just five years old at that time. But 33 years ago, God caused me to preach this sermon, not this same way they'd have thrown me out. But it was a prophetic thing, I believe, for this time. You know, we you know, over the years, we've gained, thanks be to God, understanding of the Scripture and pneumaticos principles, and we can put this forward. But way back when, God used this word. It was just as true then as it is now. And uh, I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is moving in your life. God's got a great visitation ahead. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff going on right now. We may not understand it all, but we do know one thing. Our God is in control. What he promised is going to happen. He's working a work in us. And um, the Lord is with us. So enjoy that. Pray. Pray every day. Don't fail in that. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Uh, remember that God loves you. We, we are praying for you. We love you. And, and I thank you that you're praying for us. Uh, we're in this together, but we're all with the Lord. So, Heavenly Father, that was a big piece of filet. And I pray that you will cover everything that we've talked about and let us glean strength from it in the hours and days to come and let us make this a part of who we're to be. And I pray, Father, that you will bless your people, strengthen them. If there are those today who need healing in their body, I ask you, Father, and we agree that the power of our mighty God would touch them even now and that the fire of God would come upon and within them and restore them. I declare the blood of Jesus over all these saints. Let it be upon the doorpost and the lintels of their life and family. And so not the noisy pestilence, but the noisome pestilence, that wicked plague will not come nigh us. Help us, Father, to represent you in this hour. And we thank you for it. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. And we will... Be in touch regularly. God is good. God bless you all. Goodbye.